This is Harry Gilbert from Walkabout Country Club. I'm Jeff Campbell, Program Director for the HTM Master's Program at San Diego State University. I'm Emma Doyle from Ace Online Coach. I'm Preston Lemon from Wilson Racket Sports. We are Tennis Industry United. Hi, my name is Chris Michalowski, known as Coach Mick of the United States Tennis Association. And I'm Doug Cash, founder of Cashflow Tennis. Welcome to this episode of the Tennis Industry United podcast. Well, a lot of the country is opening up and we are seeing more cases pop up in some of the warmer climates. And at the same time, some of the northern states are seeing a decline and are opening up along with the rest of the country. So it's a mixed bag of sorts. But I understand, Doug, that you have some great stories to tell numbers wise. Can you elaborate real quickly for us? I'd love to. You're right. It's a mixed bag. Some people have indoor clubs open. Some is just outdoors. Each step of the way seems to be different in each area of the country. In fact, we're going to talk about Vermont a little bit today for a second. And I had to cancel vacation for Vermont because you can't go there from out of state and participate in activities. And when we start talking about resorts, that has to have an effect on all the resorts that Scott manages. And so there's some real good numbers when they're fully open. People are really getting back to the game. They're coming back in droves. New people are starting the game. Memberships are selling very well. So there's a lot of good news for tennis. And and they just came out with a scoring system for the safety of sports. And tennis and takeout food was number one, the most safe thing you could do. And that was very good for our sport. Yeah, that's great for our sport. And the new numbers and the new players is another great thing for our sport. Well, today we'll be catching up with Scott Colbert, Chief Operating Officer at Cliff Drysdale Tennis, and checking in on the opening up of some of their resorts, and then talk about the first club we've heard that actually has had someone test positive for COVID-19 and the steps that have been taken once it was discovered. Scott, welcome. And let me give you some background on Scott. I first met Scott in Vermont probably six or seven years ago. And he is from New Zealand, and he came over to be the summer pro at Stratton Mountain in Vermont. Since then, and that he was working for Cliff Drysdale, and since then, he has gone up the ranks, and he's now the number two person in Cliff Drysdale, and he's the chief operating officer, and he is responsible for the daily operations, the staff and department company-wide. His responsibilities include designing, implementing business strategies, plans, and procedures, setting compensation goals for performance and growth, and establishing policies that promote Cliff Drysdale culture and vision. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Doug. Good to connect with yourself and Coach Mick again. It was a very insightful first meeting for myself with Mr. Doug Cash. I believe it was actually closer to 11 or 12 years ago, Doug. And I remember very clearly, you said to me that the first time you let a standard go, that becomes the new standard. As a young manager, it's very difficult at times to understand that and realize and follow through with it. But it's something that has stuck with me for the past 10 plus years. And then I've really enjoyed reconnecting more with you, Doug, in the past couple of years and, and with Coach Mick on the various podcasts and communication tools we've worked on. Yeah, it's been great to get to know you, Scott, in the last three years or so that I've been here at the USTA, and I want to thank you for being here. But before we get started on your reopening procedures for resorts, we're going to talk about resorts today. Can you give us a rundown on the number and types of facilities that Drysdale Tennis operates? Sure. So overall, pre-COVID, we had 35 facilities uh, ranging from primarily management agreements at public facilities, resorts, health clubs, uh, some country clubs, 
Uh, really a, a mixed bag of different types of facilities. Currently, we manage nine, what you'd call a tennis resort, uh, on the portfolio of 35. So, Scott, tell us a bit about how resorts might be different than a typical facility or club when it comes to preparing to reopen. Sure. I think a lot has been said and shared and documented the past few months about reopening facilities. I think the majority of that applies to the majority of all facilities. So there's really no point in me kind of rehashing a lot of that today. I think specific to resorts, you've got some very important things to consider that you might not have thought about. The first one is that you're most likely working for an organization that has hundreds, maybe a thousand staff outside of tennis and the financial requirements for them to come back to work are significantly different for your tennis program. If you're at a resort and you're looking to reopen, you've got to consider, okay, am I just opening the tennis facility and there's going to be nothing else at the resort open? And if that's the case, what infrastructure does the resort provide that I now need to provide? Did they have a pro shop? Is that even going to open? And we've heard of pro shops not opening, but a lot of times there's a pro shop staff member still in the shop working, even though the shop's closed. Well, the resort may not bring that person back to work. The court maintenance, that may be the resort's responsibility. They may not bring that person back to work. The financials, maybe you're using the resort's point of sale and the financial team's not back to work in. So you've got to look at different things that you maybe relied on the resort previously and innovate and change and be prepared for those. And then the second one is a lot of resorts, the most successful ones have a combination of local players or local members and then resort traffic coming in. So now you've got to look at, okay, how comfortable do our members feel when resort traffic starts to come in? I think everybody gets a little bit comfortable in their own bubble or their family bubble or in their you know group of players at the club, but do they really want to interact with people coming from outside the area, outside the state to play at what they perceive to be their tennis club? Some differences there and, and you know a lot of people come from different parts of the country and maybe looking at a completely different model when you close is when you open. And then of course, all the other procedures that we've talked a lot about and others have talked about in terms of cleaning and safety and social distancing and you know procedures and specialized drills, not picking up balls, those type of things. Let's go into some of your resorts. I Did all of your resorts close down in March? All of our resorts did close down in March, yes. We had nine resorts and uh, two of them remain closed now, but they did all close in March. The other thing you have, you're, I assume you're in multiple states. So the rules are different at different places and that's a little tough to keep track of. Correct, for the resorts, we're in Hawaii, California, Florida, Maryland and Vermont. That's a widespread. You've got the state of Hawaii has still got a 14 day quarantine on travelers as does the state of Vermont. That's very restrictive for a resort and their overall business. And then you've got states like Florida where we've had one of our resorts in Florida has been just posted record numbers in May. They've open almost the entire month and are probably going to post record numbers in June. And that's with the resort still closed. So the resort's closed, but the tennis program is open and they're posting record numbers. Like we mentioned earlier, it's a mixed bag across the whole country. And I would say one of the most challenging things has been trying to keep up with the government regulations in each area because they're not always clear and there's always some interpretation and you've got lots of different sources to look at. So Scott, the two that are closed, is that just a, uh, a state issue or is that uh, a company issue? 
Sure. As a tennis management company, we serve the owner or the manager of that facility. And when facility, in this instance, I mean the resorts. The ultimate decision maker is the resort ownership or the resort general manager, and we work with them. And usually what's best for them is what's best for us. Um, In instances when the program is still closed, the resort itself is still closed. And financially, it does not make any sense for the tennis program to open whilst the resort is still closed. Like I mentioned, we've got some resort programs where the resort is closed and it does make sense for tennis to open and tennis has opened. And then we've got others where the resort is open and tennis is open and that makes sense. It's very difficult to hire back your team under those circumstances because you don't know when they're opening. How's your team been reacting to all this open closing, so forth and so on? The federal government really stepped up financially to provide a lot of protection for a lot of people during this time. I think everybody that's benefited from that is super appreciative of that. I think that we've tried to communicate with our staff as much as possible and say, here's where we're at. We've tried to be as fair as we can and not bringing back people to work until there's really enough work to sustain them. Um, I don't think it's fair if someone was working full-time before to say, hey, now you have to come back to work if you're only offering part-time hours. You've got to be fair to people. If they were working full-time, then you've got to try and bring them back full-time, in my opinion. Now, that's not always possible, but we've really tried to stick to that as much as possible. I think a lot of staff now, they're at the point where they do want to get back to work. They're bored of being at home and not doing stuff. So we haven't really felt any resistance in terms of our resort tenant staff getting back to work. Are most of the resorts high-end resorts? Uh, there's a mixture um, of, you know, some of them. I kind of define resorts by what the room rate is. We have some resorts uh, in Bermuda, Rosa Bermuda. You're looking at $800, $900 a night. Uh, you've got other resorts that are maybe more, you know, $200 a night resorts. So it's, it's a mixture. And we have some in the middle, $200, $300, $400 a night. And what percent is local people versus guests? In normal times, I would say it's probably 50-50 when you average across the year. There's different seasons to every resort, but I'd say it's 50-50 across the year. We have one resort that relies heavily on resort traffic in the Florida Keys with no large local population. And some are maybe trend a little bit more local, a little bit more resort. Right now, the traffic is almost entirely local. We are seeing some resort travel come back. Amelia Island is a real big success story. We had a adult recreational tournament there last weekend with 250 players spread across 23 courts on three days. We worked with an organization called Racket War who have run events with us before. They had a completely digital experience. They sent the video link out ahead of time with the welcome address from the tournament director. All of the scores, the players ended them via their phone, text message updates for draws, no draw boards, no tournament office, entirely digital experience. And that was uh, really well received. For the most part, we're still seeing local play and, and member play. We are seeing some bookings pick up now for future camps where people come to the resort to take a tennis camp with us. So we have three camps booked this week. And that was a pretty significant portion of our business pre-COVID. So we're pushing hard to get people traveling as as it is safe as soon as possible. Now, Scott, I worked at a resort and one thing that we did, I'm not sure if you do this at your resorts, but when you get a hotel guest or someone from the resort coming in, sometimes it's easier just to have them join 
one of your member programs, because sometimes when we would run a camp, you know, you might have a, a five old player, a two old player and a junior player. And that's kind of tough to run a camp with those three. But then if you could just filter them into some of your local programming that made it a lot easier and more enjoyable for everybody. Now with a person coming in from out of state, if this is the case for you, are the locals okay with that or not just because they're coming in from different parts of the country? Sure. So I would agree with that in terms of the right balance of resort versus local programming. Coach Mick is trying to find, you're putting together, in normal times, you're putting together a program that can appeal to resort guests and appeal to local players and appeal to the membership. And so it's good when those things can meld together. I think that's one of the great things about tennis is that as long as levels are similar, members usually enjoy playing with some new people. And if they don't, they stick with their own group and resort guests like mingling with new tennis players right now a lot of the resorts are restricted to private lessons so there's really not that opportunity we do have small groups of four starting to occur um, but again we still haven't had a super amount of resort traffic to really need to restart daily clinics i will say at amelia island we had the 250 players coming in we took the step ahead of time to close the facility to everyone else for those three days it wasn't a popular decision with certain portions of the membership, but we felt that, you know, it's a large facility with 23 courts, but we felt having that many players from out of state coming to the area, we didn't feel like it was a good decision to have our existing members come out there for their 10 courts on a Friday morning and potentially intermingle. We'd already heard concerns in the head of time about not wanting to be around out of staters. And so we took the decision to close the facility for those three days. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, a resort also is considered a social place. And one common theme that Doug and I have discovered at most of the facilities we've talked to is they're not encouraging this at all, but it's more of a play and go sort of policy. Now, is this the same for your resorts? I think because a lot of pro shops are still closed, a lot of common areas, the seats are are stored away. There's really not that opportunity. I think for the most part, people are happy to be doing something and and they're not looking to stick around too much longer. They kind of get where we're at and people are adapting. So we're encouraging play and go and we haven't had too many complaints about that. Scott, what kind of occupancy are the resorts getting? Do you know? Because that obviously affects your business. Sure. Yeah, it affects our business in a large way. For the most part, it affects our business because obviously resort occupancy higher brings traffic. But, you know, we have some resorts in Miami that are still not open yet because they didn't see enough business to get to the point where they're comfortable opening and not sure they'll still be losing money, but not losing as much money. We have some resorts in the Florida Keys this weekend, 100% occupancy. Amelia Island has been consistently close in the the 90s every weekend since they opened Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Our resort in Vermont is very quiet. Palm Springs is very quiet. La Costa in San Diego is not planned to open until August. These are large hotel chains that are making high-level decisions and evaluating every single dollar. It's not a matter of tennis is a small piece of it. Let's not pay too much attention. Every single department amenity has been looked at. If this is losing the resort money, we cannot open it, or we have to find a way to not lose money for the short term because we don't have the guests in. Those that are open are open because they have high occupancy. Those that are closed are closed because occupancy is low. And they they took pre-bookings, they put dates out there, took phone calls in the reservations, call centers, and then you know, made decisions. Well, I, I think the resort business is going to come back a very quick story. I rented a car to go to Florida and last week they told me that Saturday I rented the car was their busiest Saturday ever. 
in the history of that location on a Saturday. So the people are trying to get out of town and obviously a lot of them are going to resorts and vacations, which hopefully will pick up your business. And uh, that's a good thing for you and your company. Yeah, the places that are open, we're seeing huge demand from our club in the Inn at Perry Cabin on the east of Shore, Maryland. That's a, a vacation area where people have second homes. The second homeowners are, are spending time there. They're, they're busy. In Key Biscayne, Miami, they've had a record May on track for a record June. So I think people want to do things. I think we're seeing, like you said, more driving traffic. So I appreciate the, the best wishes on that. And we are going to see it to come back. I think, you know, airplane travel will take a little bit longer. But one thing that we've tried to do, and I'd really recommend everybody, especially in a resort environment, but any sort of commercial environment, is you've got to over deliver for your owner or your manager or your resort partner. So, you know, we quickly, maybe five, six weeks back, put a, fake, a focus on staycations and turned our marketing to drive-in markets around all the resorts, trying to discount our prices as much as possible to bring in room revenue. Because at the end of the year, when the resorts evaluating us, they're not too concerned about the tennis profit and loss center for the pro shop or how they classify the tennis department. We're looking at room revenue and what the tennis program is bringing them. The tournament that I mentioned, that was actually due to be hosted at a different resort and the resort canceled and we picked up that event at short notice and bought in $30,000 in rooms to the resort. And the GM is, is obviously super pleased with that. So I really think it's a good time to over deliver for your resort partners. It's not a time for the tennis pro to kind of stand back and, and not be counted. I think it's a time for them to step up and see, hey, how can we help the entire resort? Because there's a lot of people not working. And we've been in situations where you've had the tennis directors working, the general manager the director of finance and maybe one security staff or one IT staff. You've got a real small group that tennis director can step up. It's a great opportunity for them to set themselves up in a good spot for the future. Sounds like Cliff Drysdale under your leadership has really done a great job at resorts and hopefully you'll pick up some more because you're so successful. So good luck, Scott. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. Good chatting today. Thanks, Coach Mick. Good chatting. Well, thank you, Scott, and we appreciate you being on the podcast, and good luck, and we'll touch base in the uh, upcoming weeks. Now, next up, there's some water that I was hoping that we would not have to tread, and that is what happens when a member or an employee tests positive for COVID-19, and today we're actually going to be talking to a familiar voice, Doug Cash, who works with many clubs around the country through his company, Cashflow Tennis, and one of his clubs is in this situation right now, and we're not going to name the club due to some obvious concerns, but talk about when it was discovered that an employee had COVID and how it was handled in hopes of giving you, our listener, insight and how you might proceed if the same situation occurs at your facility. Thanks for sitting in on the other side of the table today, Doug. Thanks, Mick. Great to be here. Yeah, I understand the last few days you were traveling around the Midwest at some of your clubs. Can you give us a little bit of insight on uh, what's going on at those clubs? Well, first of all, the, the Midwest is pretty well open, indoors, outdoors. Illinois not yet. Uh, but like Ohio and Indiana are. What we're seeing is very, very encouraging. The numbers are going crazy. New people into the game, other people coming back to the game, members getting very involved. The club I was at yesterday is running at about 90% occupancy, both inside and outside for the week. Their summer camps are full. Pros are working as many hours as they had before COVID-19. So life is pretty good in those clubs. Now, what's a normal occupancy rate? Because 90% actually seems it might, seems like it might be higher than normal. Is that right or not? 
it is higher than normal. In the summer, indoors and outdoors probably runs between 70 and 75, and they're at 85 to 90. The biggest complaint we have right now is I can't get a court, and that's a nice complaint to get. That's a great complaint to get. It's a great sign for tennis. And like we said in, in, in the last episode, there's lots of new members or lots of new players anyway, uh, giving tennis a try. So that's a good sign as well. It certainly is, Mick. Now, before we get started, I just want to be transparent that you are well aware of what's going on at this facility we're going to be talking about today. But after the director ran it by the board, they decided it was best not to have him discuss this, which is understandable. We've spent a lot of time talking about how clubs have prepared to make sure this does not happen. But when it does, what steps are clubs taking to make sure their members and staff are safe and this is not spread? And that's what we're going to be talking about today with Doug Cash, who is a consultant to this club. So, Doug, I'm just going to call it your club just to make the conversation flow a bit easier. But uh, thanks for uh, filling in and talking to us about the first club we've come around that has somebody contract COVID-19. Thanks, Mick. You're right. This is the first club that I've come across that had a employee come down with COVID-19. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about the club. It's a large club uh, that has about 31 courts, has a pool. It's got about six indoor courts, thriving membership. And actually, during the whole COVID-19 timeframe, it never shut down. It changed how it did things. They started with singles on every other court. Now they're in doubles and they're doing clinics. But this is the first case of any employee that I know that has COVID-19. So what type of club is it? Is it a country club, private club? It's actually owned by the members. So there's a board of directors and uh, it's been around a long time and it's very successful as far as the amount of tennis that's played there. They really have a nice club. It's a club you and I would like to belong to. Sounds like it. So would you say that, so there wasn't really a reopening plan in place, but who decided to keep the club open? Was it a board decision? Well, actually, uh, the board did decide that, but obviously they had permission from the local governments and health organizations to do that. They obviously changed their operation when they stayed open and followed some very strict CDC guidelines. Clubhouses were closed, masks were worn by 100% of the employees at all times, except when they were teaching on a court. They have a swimming pool that took reservations at half the number that normally occupy the pool. They sanitized very well. They even had Companies come in three or four days a week and sanitize the old indoors, even though they weren't using it. So they did some really good things for a plan of how to cope and try to re prevent COVID-19 from spreading. Yeah, and it sounds like they're doing the same things that all the other clubs we've talked to are doing. And even during the peak season, let's call it, of COVID, it sounds like, okay, they didn't have any instances of COVID-19 at the club. But now I understand that the club has had its first case. Someone did test positive, and I believe that was an employee, right? That is correct. And let me tell you the story. Sure. They have a policy that if you don't feel well, you don't come to work. So that's how this all started. One of the employees didn't feel well uh, on a Wednesday and did not come to work. Uh, she went to her doctor. Her doctor administrated a COVID-19 test and she tested positive. So she hadn't been in the club for about seven days when they discovered she had COVID-19. Policy worked that when you feel badly, you don't come to the club. That really limited the amount of exposure she had to people. She wore masks and gloves 100% of the time when she was working. So we met as a group and followed a plan that we put together of what happens when an employee or a member gets that. And basically the plan was this. Uh, certainly communication was very important, the membership and to the team. 
Second part of that is to have people who had worked with her or around her to be tested before they can come back to work. What we did is we closed the part of the club that she was working in, which happened to be the restaurant, and everybody who worked in the restaurant and the general staff that came in and out of the restaurant during the day, we tested every one of them and wouldn't allow them to come back to work until we got results of that test. What now, was she front of the house or back of the house? She was back of the house, uh, had very, almost no member contact, which in this case was good. Uh, so we tested the sales director, the general manager, the office manager, the restaurant manager, and the other people that worked in the restaurant. Since then, we have found out that two other back of the house people also tested positive for COVID-19. So we closed the restaurant for a couple of weeks, but not the club. We told whatever happened with very detailed, other than who it was, on the, on the history of it so that it would be informed as much as they could, which the members really appreciated it. And I believe the public now is expecting some of this in all businesses, because as COVID is still there, most businesses are either going to have a customer or a member or a team person come down with COVID-19. So we closed the restaurant. We replaced everything in the restaurant that we couldn't sterilize, basically. So all the food that was there, uh, all these hard goods, everything that we had to replace, we replaced. So the restaurant won't open for a couple of weeks because our restaurant people uh, all had COVID-19. They cannot come back to work for two weeks, and then they have to test negative. So our goal was not to have a hot spot at the club and to keep as many people away from the club and test as many people to, to determine that never happened. So far, it hasn't happened. The members seem content with what we did. We followed a plan. It seems to be working. Uh, I hope nobody else comes down with it, but we'll continue to test to make sure. So the members that actually ate at the restaurant, did they have a list of who had visited the restaurant? Are they keeping track of those sorts of things now to see where everybody is? So in case someone does contract COVID, they know, who's been there, who hasn't? Um, well, actually, no, because the restaurant was only doing takeout. It was not doing sit-down meals. We do know who got takeout, but there was no table service at the restaurant yet. The rest of the club is still open. It's just that one area that's closed down. Now, our members, I know you said they're very appreciative of how you handled it. Are you still seeing as much activity on the tennis courts now, or are you seeing it diminish a little bit just because someone did contract COVID? Uh, we have not seen a change in activity level as of yet. So what would you say to somebody who is in the middle of opening up? We've talked to a lot of clubs who are in, you know, week three, have been open for a month, they're seeing some great numbers. This can still happen, like you said. They're going to react different ways. What would you tell these people if someone did contract COVID at their club? First thing is have a plan of what you think you're going to do, whether it's a member, team member, or a visitor. And have a plan. When it happens, you can then make quicker decisions. The communication is a real key here. You don't want to hide anything from the members. You don't want to hide anything from your staff. And so you have to get the word out and you have to protect staff and members and obviously any guests that are using the club. And that's your first priority. That would be my plan. Now with the plan at this club, was there anything that you learned that you would do differently now that it is a reality? Um, the testing became very important. The one thing we didn't have worked out that I wish we had is how the tests were going to work, whether they're going to be rapid tests, whether there's a couple different types of tests, who was going to administrate it. We found out that everybody had to go to a doctor to get so-called prescription to take the test. A couple doctors didn't want to give it to them. 
So we had to work around those problems because they had no symptoms, but so they didn't want to waste the test, but we wanted them to get tested and go back to work. So the key is just to make sure you plan it out very carefully, like it sounds like this club did. So when it does happen, and there is a chance it will happen, that the club is prepared. And like you said, that the communication with the membership is key in this. Yes, it is. And uh, hopefully it won't happen again. But the world we live in, I think this is going to be more, more normal than not in organizations and businesses. Now that we have talked to a lot of directors of different clubs and you have seen a lot of clubs around the country in about every stage of the reopening process, is there anything you'd like to add to give those about to reopen who haven't reopened yet some advice? You can learn from what the rest of us have done and what we've done well and what we haven't done so well. I'm changing some of my predictions. I thought a third of the people would come back very quickly. A third would be hesitant. The third wouldn't come back. And I'm finding more than a third are coming back very quickly, which is, I hope, a good thing, especially at the outdoor clubs. One of the things I'm seeing is there are people that call the tennis club and said, I'd like to have a lesson, but I want it outside. I won't do it inside. That's an interesting, I, I didn't see that coming. Also, the, the kids clubs at clubs is not being used like normal because they're not ready to bring their children back to the club. And the last part of it that's a little difficult is when an employee says, I'm afraid to come back. What do you do? That's an interesting HR problem, especially if the person has duties that can only be done like on a tennis court, like a tennis pro. And so we're grappling with that. And I don't have all the answers. I'm pretty sure you cannot let them go because of it. So we're still doing research on that because that's not easy to manage. Well, Doug, thank you so much. And I hope that this club comes out of this okay. And I'll be checking back with you personally in a couple of weeks uh, to see how things went. And right now I'll pull you back over to this side of the table and just tell everybody that wraps it up for this episode of the Tennis Industry United podcast. We want to thank you for listening and like to thank my partner, Doug Cash of Cashflow Tennis and our special guest, Scott Colburn at Cliff Drysdale Tennis and our own Doug Cash for insight on steps to take after someone has tested positive for COVID-19. We hope that if you are about to reopen, you can take some of the insight from today's episode to help guide you in some of your decision making. And remember, everything you need to know about the support and assistance currently provided or now in development can be found on the website, tennisindustryunited.com. Well, I'm Chris Michalowski. And I'm Doug Cash. Until next time, keep your head up, be safe, and stay well. And remember, we're all in this together. Tennis Tennis Industry Industry United. United.